Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. For those of you, I, I asked a question for those of you who are joining us online. I know it may have been a bit confusing because last week there wasn't a live stream. Um, one of our core values at Church of the Beloved is a full-throated and unequivocal dependence on prayer. Right? And so there has been a shared desire from you for us to pray more. Um, so that's what we decided to do. We decided to pray more last week, especially. So every three months, we're going to be doing this thing. We're dedicating one service uh, to just doing that, singing praise, lifting up prayers to our God. Now, because of the nature of that kind of service, trying to record it or broadcast it, it would have been awkward, a little weird. So we decided, no, we're, go- we're going to just focus on being here together as a family and pray. Um, I understand, we understand that it's still hard for folks, some folks to come. Maybe it's almost impossible and to join in person. So we actually sent a text out. Um, to everyone that we have a phone number for with the prayer points that we focused on as a church so that you could join us virtually. I want to mention, and I, the reason I, we collect that information from you is to do that. So if you didn't get that text on Sunday, please go online uh, to fill out a connection card or email info at cotv.life. Just make sure we have your email and your mobile number um, so you can get those updates in the future. But I want to really thank our prayer ministry leads, Cindy and Diana, as well as all the volunteers that helped coordinate last week's service. It was was truly an amazing and powerful demonstration of the power of worship, power of prayer. Uh, It was just an awesome opportunity for us to do that. And I want to mention also one other thing about this before we get into Colossians. Cindy and Diana, they are our prayer ministry leads. They've been doing this. They've been leading a team of beloved folks uh, for about a year now who have committed to spending time together. Uh, Sometimes it was virtually. Sometimes it was in person. uh, Sometimes it was asynchronously. So we do it, you know, during the month, uh, the same thing, just different times. But we committed to um, once a month spending of time to pray together as a team uh, in an intercessory prayer team for the church. Uh, this team consisted of Opal, uh, Suzette, Yuji, Sarah, Tawana, Charlie, and myself. And we announced and emailed uh, that this is a start of a new season for this intercessory prayer team. Cindy and Diana, they're actually going to be stepping down for different reasons uh, as ministry leads, but we have Tom and Ariel, two of our deacons, they're going to be stepping up into that role. So what we're trying to do is we're asking that if there are women or men who are among our family who are able to and wanting to commit to gathering once a month, uh, who are passionate about prayer, who who are passionate about our need for prayer as a church family, please just email prayer at cotb.life uh, and say that you're interested and want to be a part of that intercessory prayer team. We're looking for individuals, uh, women and men, who are willing to commit to this for the rest of 2022 which is unbelievably almost half over. Um, Anyway, um, today we got to get back to our current sermon series. We've been preaching a series, I've been preaching a series called Letters from a Friend. Um, And we're focusing on, in this series, the shorter letters that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, 
to his friends Timothy and Titus and Philemon, as well as to the churches in Galatia, uh, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. Uh, and, and what I want to do is just want to recap really quickly what we've covered so far. We started the series off by looking at the author, Paul, and just looking at his life and realizing that his life reminds us absolutely no one is outside of God's reach. Then we looked at Paul's letter to the church in Galatia and how it speaks to our unity in our Christian liberty. We don't have, we're not held and bound by the law anymore. Ephesians, it calls us to be unified, but not uniform, to a unity in our diversity. And then Philippians was Paul encouraging us as a church uh, to a unity through our humility. Uh, But humility is not diminishing myself, but rather it's elevating others as fellow image bearers of God. Today, we're going to look at Colossians, and the theme I really want to focus on is our call, based on what Paul wrote, to be united as a family, living as Christ loves. And we'll get into it, but I want to ask, do you remember a time uh, when you were in transition to doing something different, but you weren't quite there yet? You're still in that in-between stage. For example, we have a lot of uh, students, some teachers, Uh, I'm guessing that y'all are in the midst of your school year ending, probably like three or four weeks left. If you're a senior, you've got your senioritis and you've already, basically, you're gone. Your mind is gone. You're not, not, your mind is gone on break already. Not that it's gone. Um, Maybe there is a time where, for those of you who are in the working right now, maybe there's a time where you put in your two weeks notice. Uh, in your old job, and you're like, is one week one has not passed yet, but you're also, you're gone. You're ready to leave. Um, students, maybe, or even non-students, you remember when you first got accepted to Wheaton or Moody or UIC or U of C or Northwestern or UIUC, whatever school you got accepted into, you were, initially, you were probably excited about going. I don't know if you stayed excited, but you were initially excited, and you started buying, like, school gear uh, when you had your parents' money instead of your own, uh, and before it actually started. I I remember when I first put in my two weeks' notice for when I was working at IBM. The startup, I used to be, be at a startup in San Francisco, and this startup introduced me to a life in tech. It convinced me to leave my life as a social worker, but that startup got acquired by IBM. And so after nearly 15 years of working with my startup, um, I, I just couldn't stay with IBM. It, nothing wrong with IBM, but it just wasn't my thing. I, I, I am not a corporate guy. So I put in my two weeks notice, but as soon as I hit send on the email, I was done. Uh, I'd already gotten a job with another startup, was, was based in India, which is another story. But I, in my mind, I was gone. I was already with my new company, but not yet. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, I'm going to read that again. Thanks again to Peter for reading that, but it says this. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I'm just going to stop there. If then. Another way to read this would be since. Since you've been raised with Christ. In other words, you are already there. You are already counted among the redeemed. You have been raised with Christ already, but not yet. You've been sanctified by the Savior already, but not yet. See, Paul was saying that since you are the beloved of God because of Christ alone, since that is your reality, that is your truth, then here's what you got to do. 
Again, going back to the analogy, if you're a teacher or a student, you're counting the days, right? Um, you know, if I were to ask, you probably know exactly how many hours are left before you're on vacation. You're already there, but not yet. You, you, you know what you got to do when you go on vacation. You probably need to get your beach gear or your beach body or your summer reading list, whatever you want to do. Because since you're going to be on vacation, then you know what you have to do. For those of you who are among us who are transitioning to a new city or a new place for work or for school, you know what you need to do as well. You've started selling your slightly used furniture or just looking for people who will take it from you because you just can't bring yourself to throwing it out. Uh, you started to look for a new place to live. You start asking people, you know, do you know of a good church that I could go to when I get settled down? Since you're moving, then you know what you have to do. Since, see, since we are already raised in Christ, since we are already raised by Christ, and since we are already raised for Christ, since this is our reality today, since this is our, our reality forever, then, as Paul explains, then this is what we have to do. This is what we got to do. We have to seek the things that are above. We have to set our minds on the things that are of God. I think it's a very important thing that we can't gloss over. We can't miss this point. See, our response does not drive our redemption. It's the other way around. Our redemption, because we're redeemed, it drives our response. We don't seek the things that are above. We don't set our minds on the things that are uh, to know the re- on these things to know the redemption that Jesus alone provides us. We seek and we set our minds on the things that are above because of the fact that Jesus decided he would cover the cost that had to be paid so that we could be able to spend eternity in heaven with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because our redemption drives our response. We're going to take the time in a moment to look at those things that we're supposed to be setting our minds on, you know, our response to Christ's redemption. But I want to take a second to, to point out a formula that Paul actually is using here in his letter. If you read through the very first few verses of chapter 3, what you see is a pretty straightforward pattern. It makes sense. It's since, then, because. Since X, then Y, because of Z. So starting with verse 1, it says, since, or, I, I'm, yeah, since you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For, or if we can say it, because you or because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Since we are the redeemed, since we are the beloved of God, then we should be living unified by Christ's love because this is the life we are promised a life in eternity with Jesus Christ because we have died, because our lives are hidden with Christ. I want to turn back to chapter 1, verse 24 to 27, because in that uh, passage, Paul provides a bit more context what he means by this. Starting with verse 24, he writes, Now now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. 
to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, God's plan, God's plan for redemption, the redemption of those that God has chosen, his, our Father's elect, this plan was hidden. It was not revealed until Christ came to earth. It, it was hidden from everybody. In the redemption act of Christ, his death and his re- resurrection, it reveals that plan. The answer to the mystery of redemption is now revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, those who proclaim Christ as the one and only Son of God, we died as well. And so for those who live by this faith, those who live by this faith alone, in Christ alone, when Christ defeated death, we did too. We have already, but not yet fully, become new creations with him. Um, I want to mention, Church of the Beloved, someone asked me once, what denomination are we? We are not of any denomination. We are a non-denominational church. We, we lean towards a more Baptist uh, tradition. Uh, so you can call us if you want an independent Baptist church. But basically, if you were to break this down for Church of the Beloved, it basically means that we believe that the best, but not the only way uh, to express one's faith, faith in Christ is uh, as a means of sal- Christ as the means of salvation is by what is called full immersion uh, or a believer's baptism okay, versus an infant baptism. So we don't baptize babies. We do have, and this is a shout out to the moms, we do have a tradition of baby dedications. It's a commitment um, by new parents to raise their children in faith. And it's also a commitment by that new parent's church family, us here, to support them in that desire. We basically want to live out what's given as a command in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 7, which says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So, to our beloved covenant members who are new moms, first again, happy Mother's Day to y'all. To our new moms and our new dads also, if you want to do that, if you'd like to dedicate your baby to be raised uh, in a love for Jesus, I'm going to ask you, please, email me, email Yuji. Uh, I've reached out to some of you already. Now, if you're an older, I mean, more experienced uh, mother, and you want to dedicate an older child to God, we should have a talk. That's not really a thing what we're going to do. That's, that's a separate thing that we can discuss later. But if you have a baby that you want to dedicate, we'd love to do that with you. But I mention all of this because the mystery that has been revealed is this. This truth that has been hidden is essential to who we are as Christians. And I think it is most beautifully revealed in the act of baptism. I should tell you, I grew up in an immigrant Presbyterian church. My dad's church, we practiced infant baptism. 
So I was baptized as an infant. And when I was like 13, I, I publicly proclaimed and confirmed my faith to the congregation. But I didn't have to be baptized again because I had already done that. But later on, when Suzanne and I, we moved to San Francisco, in order to join our Baptist church in San Francisco, we had to participate in full immersion baptism. That was how we could become members. And I'll tell you, it was a little strange for me, awkward for me. Suzette, she had just become a Christian. So her participating in this public proclamation of her faith, it was a beautiful opportunity. It was awesome. It was such a wonderful thing to be witness to. But for me, because I'll tell you, my mom was actually pretty angry. Uh, she was like, what kind of cult are you joining? You've already been baptized. You don't need to do it again. But anyway, I, I went ahead and did it. Um, because here's the thing, I know, I know that baptism is not a means of salvation. It's not what we call salvific, right? For me, getting baptized again, it was more of an act of submission, an act of devotion to my church family in San Francisco. Because I wanted to be a part and be recognized as a part of that church family. Um, they changed the rules after my baptism, well, because I guess I made a stink. Um, but I'll tell you, I was a little nervous about it, because I had an old Sunday school teacher, he told me about his baptism experience. He, he grew up in Hawaii, right? and uh, he grew up in like a Pentecostal church. And they did their baptisms in the ocean, right? which sounds awesome. But he explained to me that when he decided to get baptized, he was a little bit older, he had never seen a baptism before. So he didn't know what to expect. So they took him out to the water. Right? He's there, the pastor prays. And then suddenly the pastor picks him up and dunks him with all his might into the water, yelling, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and then pulls him out, and then dunks him again in the name of the Son, pulls him out, and then dunks him again in the name of the Holy Ghost. And the whole time, my friend, he's like freaking out. He's like, what's going on? This guy's going to drown me. He's flailing his arms about, because he had no idea what was happening. They didn't warn him. Um, if we do baptism, we don't do it that way here at Church of the Beloved, uh, even though we're hoping to be able to do one in Lake Michigan come June. So if you're interested, please talk to me. Uh, we're looking at the middle of June to do a, a Lake Michigan baptism. But for me, it was, a, it was in a church gym. It was like a nice little warmed up water. June is going to be very cold. So we want to let you fully experience what it means to be baptized and become made new. One thing that I can tell you this, uh, a result of being baptized again, it made me dive into understanding what baptism is and what it symbolizes. I'll tell you, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, Paul wrote this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Being immersed underwater, it represents the old selves being, our old selves being buried. Being raised again out of the water represents being raised with Christ as a new creation. See, since we are the beloved of God, since we are raised with Christ, then we are to set our mind and seek the things of God because we've died. Because our life is hidden with Christ, our old self has been killed and we have been raised up as a new self, a new self with a new identity that Christ has given to his redeemed. Something that I believe is so beautifully represented by this act of baptism. 
because we have died with Jesus and because our life is now hidden with Christ. We now have a heavenly identity that is perfect. We have a heavenly citizenship that is permanent. We have a heavenly character that is already, but not yet, because we are hidden with Christ. We will become fully and gloriously manifested in all Christ's glory when he returns, when Christ returns and brings us home. Since we are raised with Jesus, then we are to set our mind on the things above because we are new. Since then, because. Now what I do is, let's talk about how, right? How to set, how we set our mind and focus on the things that are above. How we are called to be united as the body of Christ, the family of God. Now how we do that, when we look at this, is by living as Christ loved and by living as Christ continues to love. Paul kind of spells out in verses 5 to 17 what this practically means to adopt a new mindset, to to adopt a new life and, and a new way of thinking, to live as Christ loves. And he starts by contrasting our old life, the one that's died, the life that lead, needs to be put to death, to our new way of living, to our new way of thinking and being, what we need to put on instead. And turning to verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death. And I want to gloss over this phrase. Paul's very intentional when he says, put to death. He doesn't say, uh, not place it aside, don't archive it. Put it to death. Kill it. Destroy it. Annihilate it. Exterminate it. Obliterate it. I remember back in the day, um, their peer-to-peer file sharing was a thing. Maybe it's still a thing. Napster is what started it all, and I actually had a conversation with our small group, and they informed me Napster is a paid subscription service, which just blew my mind because it was free when I was... Anyway, uh, if you don't know, and I know there's new ones out there. If you don't know what Napster is, you're way too young. If you don't know what peer-to-peer file sharing is, that's actually good. That's, don't, don't learn about it. I, because nowadays, besides everything is from music to movies, it's all streamed anyway. Nobody bothers to actually keep files. Um, but back in the day, I used to collect uh, something. Some of you may know torrent files. Basically, I was stealing TV shows and movies. Uh, I had a huge collection of them, mainly because uh, I'm a nerd, uh, mainly sci-fi, but I had hundreds of hours of TVs, movies, etc. back in the early 2000s. But, and it was just me. Suzette would never do such things. She's so much better than I am. But I came to a realization uh, later on, I, I don't remember when, but that I wasn't okay with this. Because at the heart of it all, these downloads that I had, they were stolen, right? I, I had taken stuff that wasn't mine. I was stealing from somebody. I'm not sure when it happened, but it became not cool for me anymore. And I realized that the only response I could have, I could think of, was to obliterate my collection. I couldn't just say, oh, I won't use the program anymore. Uh, No, I had to totally get rid of it. I took all those files. I took the BitTorrent program and everything else, and I just deleted it fully off my computer. There's no way to recover those hundreds of hours of shows and movies that I had collected. 
Because here's the truth. It was, it was part of my old self, and I had to destroy it. I had to put it to death. And the only response I had was to annihilate that old self because I didn't want to access any part of it. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I had to put that part of me to death, and this is what we are being called to do. Now, this list sometimes is called a vice list. You'll note that the very first few actions in this list Paul is focusing on, they're things that are kind of easy to see. They're more external. These are things that your community can be witness to. Uh, For example, sexual immorality, the very first one there. It's not talking about sex. It's talking about the twisting of what God had created to be enjoyed and embraced within the confines of marriage between a husband and wife. Paul explains that we need to put that twisting of what he made beautiful to death. Impurity. We need to put to death the corruption of our morality. Passion. See, the Greek for passion, by the way, is is pathos, and it can be better defined or more fully defined as lustful or sexual passion. To be clear, there's nothing wrong with passion in and of itself. Actually, Psalm chapter 84, verse 10, or sorry, Psalm 84, verse 2, it says this, My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Because, see, it's talking about passion here. Passion is not evil. But what we are passionate about matters. So we have to put to death the things that we're passionate about that that are wrong in God's eyes. Evil desires. Again, it's not an evil thing or sin to be desiring something. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15 you turn to that really quickly. It says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by his own evil passions. Then, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth when what we, pa- what we desire is based out of a self-centeredness versus a Christ-centeredness, that births sin. That's what we need to put to death. Covetousness, which is just another word for self-centeredness or desire for more than what God has provided, that needs to be put to death. All these things are driven by a focus on me, making me God instead of God, God. That needs to be put to death. Further down in this passage, Paul moves from a focus on those observable sins to more of our mindset, the mindset that needs to change. In verse 8, he says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. In Matthew chapter 15, Verse 18, this is what uh, Matthew wrote, or this is what Jesus said. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. You see, Jesus is teaching in this passage here that there needs to be a mind shift, a heart change associated with our transformation by the Spirit of God. And this is absolutely evidenced by the words that come out of our mouth, the words we use with each other. Because we're called to be unified by living and loving as Christ loved and as Christ continues to love. 
That's who we are. That's who we were. So what I want to do is I want to start looking at who we are supposed to be. Now we know what the old self is that needs to be put to death. Let's look at who we're supposed to be. In verse 12 to 13, it says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if no one has a complaint against, uh, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. These are, these are cool words, nice virtues. And these attitudes and actions are, are, are the markers of God's chosen ones, God's beloved. And God's beloved are intended to live together in a community, in family, with these attributes. It says in verse 11, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Those things that Paul mentions earlier, you know, anger, malice, slander, cruelty, these are the things that divide us. These are the things that need to be put to death. We need to strive for the other things. There's a word that I like to use, Framily, it's not my word, I think it was T-Mobile, but Framily, I use it to denote who we are uh, as the beloved, right? As we are a family of friends. Starting next month, we are hoping to make that even more evident. We're going to be kicking off Framily potlucks throughout the Chicago area in the different neighborhoods throughout the city. Wicker Park, we've been doing it for over a year now. Um, uh, Humble Park started a few months back. Um, Bridgeport, I think you guys had your first one last month. We were testing it out. So downtown area, we're going to have at least one, maybe more, because there's so many of you down here. Uh, that's going to start next month. Uptown, we got one happening as well in June. So every second Sunday, what we want to do is gather as family in our neighborhoods to just be a family of friends united together by Christ. If you live in one of these neighborhoods uh, and you haven't heard about it and you want to join in, email info at COTB Life or talk to me. We'll get you connected to the host for your neighborhood. If you live in a different neighborhood that I didn't mention and you want to get a family potluck and you live in the suburbs, that's going to be harder. But everyone else in the city, if you want, just email me. We'll see in the next week or two. We want you to join in as well because we are called to live in community as Christ lives. We are called to love our community as Christ loved. The best way to do that is with food. Right? So I hope we can do that but I'm just about out of time. I want to start wrapping up. You know, Paul explains in this letter to the Colossians that we are, since we are raised with Christ, then we are to set our mind on the things above because we have been made new. And how we do this is by becoming what we are. We are image bearers of God who have been transformed by the Spirit of God to become more like the Son of God. We are called, we are to become what we are always designed to be. We're to take who we were and we are to kill it, demolish it. We are to understand that our former self-centered, me-focused life, it needs to go away. And it can and it will be put to death by the power and the might of the Spirit of God alone. Jesus tells us this, John writes about it in chapters 14 and 16 of John, that, that the helper and the comforter, the Holy Spirit, he would be left behind with us so that we might know the truth, that he, the truth that Christ has called us to live, so that we might live to be the new creation that God has always intended us and planned for us to be.
See, becoming what we are is becoming a community, a family that's no longer segregated, no longer separated by unhelpful societal distinctions, male, female, rich, poor, Caucasian, African-American, Asian-American, hyphenated American, whatever race, whether you're a student or a professional, whether you have a PhD or a GED, whether you're a jock or a nerd, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or even libertarian, whether you're a millennial or Gen Z, it does not matter. None of these things are valid differences for the beloved God. Instead, Paul explains what God's plan is. That we are called to live our lives as Christ lived and as Christ continues to live. We are called to love our family, our family as Christ loves, to live with compassion towards one another. If someone does something that pisses you off, go to that person. If it's safe, if it's not, don't. But if it's safe, go to that person, talk to them. Move towards reconciliation. Don't move towards cancellation. Understand that forgiveness is modeled by our Savior, not just for my sake, but for our sake. We want you to seek harmony, not acrimony. We want you to strive for humility, not vanity. Because it says here, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I started off by saying that this letter to the church in Colossae, it's Paul's call to us to be united as a family by living as Christ loves. Because being what we are, what we've always meant, been meant to be, the beloved of God because of Christ alone, is about living for and with each other. Like Christ did. Living for us. When he, when he did demonstrate the perfect example of love by dying in our place. Being what we are means letting the truth of God's message reside in us. And when we gather together to sing worship to God together, when we gather together to teach and to admonish and to encourage each other to learn about God's plans for us, when, when we gather together thankful for this amazing love from this gift, for this gift from God, that's how we live, united as a family, living as Christ loves. That's uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.